white carpets and BMWs and Audis and things driving around Howard by the time I was kind of in my teens. And my parents weren't that set of people, but I did get to see it. And what I noticed was that these business people were really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, they were they were passionate about what they were doing. They really wanted to make a difference in whatever it was with very little consideration of environmental or social issues, but they were passionate about their business. And so as I grew up, I think I was bringing both of those learnings together with the social and the environmental and the brights and the um, and the bushy-tailedness of business together into a framework going, well, actually, I know these kind of people that, that drive businesses. Imagine if. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Rachel Brown, kia ora. Welcome to Purposely Podcast. Kia ora, Mark. Lovely to be here. You're the founder and CEO of Sustainable Business Network. What's its mission? What's its purpose? So what we're trying to do, Mark, is to get businesses to fundamentally change what they do to be part of restoring systems that are basically regenerative. So that means kind of creating systems that are better for people and better for the planet, but also good for business. We think that the three are fundamentally connected. And it's 20 years old, which is phenomenal. How did it start? Good question. It actually is the coming together of a number of different organizations, but 20 years ago, things and awareness were quite different 20 years ago, but um, I'd, I'd already set up an organization called the Auckland Environmental Business Network in the early, well, the late 1990s, which was really a group of passionate business people who had come together to go, right, we've got to do some cool stuff about how business leads on environment. And in those days, we were looking at things like green buildings and organics and a whole lot of sectory kind of things. Um, and there was another organization called the Businesses for Social Responsibility, which Dick Hubbard used to head up um, with a woman called Annette Lust. And then there was another organization called uh, Businesses for a Better Bays, which is down in Tauranga, which a lovely woman, uh, Jennifer, used to run. And uh, we basically got to this point where they were, they were getting more and more similar over time. And, and I just put a recommendation forward that we should merge them all into a collective. And that's in 2002, that's what happened. And Sustainable Business Network started then. And for you, was that a side hustle, something you were doing in your spare time? <laughs> uh, the Auckland Environmental Business Network was. It was a side hustle um, in the late night, just before the 2000s. Um, I was doing that while I was working at Waitakere City Council and um, had made great friends with Chris Morrison, who was running a company called Phoenix Organics in those days, and he was our chair. And, um, yeah, so we used to just pull businesses together and get them excited about a different way of doing business way back then. Did you feel like an outlier because things have changed a lot? Oh, listen, I think... I think it's always going to feel a little bit like an outlier because what we were talking about then was much less complex to what we're talking about now. So when you're, when you're passionate about the area you're in, you can always see much more progress at more systemic level. Whereas back in the early days, we were, you know, we were quite simple about some of the things that we were asking people to do. So we did feel different, you know, was saying to people, turn off your lights when you leave the room and, you know, think about driving your car more efficiently and less. And I mean, those conversations are still going on, but they're becoming a bit more mainstream. And now we're saying, actually, 
a lot of these issues are systemic in nature. So businesses, government, philanthropic community actually need to come together and solve this together in a diverse set of ways, but together is the most important things. Things on climate. No one organization is going to solve it. So it's a collective now, which is slightly different from the angle 20 years ago. And give us an example of the mountain you had to climb in those early days of SBN. Like what was the sort of resist <laughs> what was the resistance look like? Was it was it fairly ugly? Did people just not get you? What do you remember like it being super tough to kind of get people to buy into this idea that we should protect our environment and we should do business differently potentially? Um, yeah, yeah. I've got quite a few different stories of I mean, partly I was twenty, you know, something years younger. So I and I looked younger when I was young too. So although I was probably nearly thirty, I would have looked like I was in my early twenties. And then having to, you know, for example, I went to a, a meeting that was organized very kindly by the Employees and Manufacturers Association to meet with their their advisory board or board and there would have been gosh about 40 people sitting around the table when I went into the room all of them bar one were men and all of them were over 50 and I would have looked like I was 20 so they would have looked at me like I was their daughter probably and they spoke to me like I was their daughter they were very kind and they certainly were trying to be positive but uh, it was extraordinarily difficult you know, it was that situation where people were going, yeah, it's good to look after the environment, but it's not really the job of business. That's really the job of councils or government. So, you know, what do we do? And, you know, do you need some money? Can we give, can we give money? <laughs> you know, it was that kind of conversation. Mm. It was that classic thing where business stays doing what it's doing because that's how it's making its money, but it can give money away to good causes. It was still at that stage, really. And part of the challenge was for us was to be able to look at every single individual business there and help them think about what's the role they can play through their own businesses that would be better for planetary systems and for their staff. And that actually takes a lot of thinking and a lot of work. And in those days, that thinking wasn't really happening. It was happening in small number of businesses, but very small number of businesses. Yeah, they they weren't connecting care for the environment with their kind of mission and purpose of, of their business or that it was even relevant? Absolutely. And there was still in those days, you know, the conversation about climate change, there was a massive denial going on um, back then. Most people would have just gone, don't talk to me about that. Like, that's just not, I just don't buy into it. Human Humans can't influence climate just by the way that we are. Yeah. That's just not, that's just not possible. Yeah. Some of the narrative around this is just, it's just cycles. Uh, extreme weather is just a weather cycle. That's right. Hundreds of years old. Yeah, there's nothing new. <laughs> and you've helped over 550 businesses, which is phenomenal. Is there an example of a business that you've kind of had the most impact on or you're most sort of proud of in your in your network? I'd like to say that we did a lot of this ourselves, but it's never a one-person job. There's always a team of people working on these things, Mark. So I just want to acknowledge that every business that we've worked with over the years has had a team of people wrapped around either internally and externally that helps them make a difference. Uh, it's just not it's not SBN doing it to people. It's it's definitely a working with. But I think the stuff that I've I've been most proud of over the years is the stuff that we've done in genuine partnership. So it's not working with individual companies to make that difference happen. 
it's been working across sectors. So, for example, I'm very proud of the work we've done um, with MB and NZTU, all these government agencies, ECA, um, and then some of the business community like BNZ and Meridian and created this thing called a Climate Action Toolbox, which is an enabling thing which would let thousands of SMEs, small and medium-sized businesses, act on climate. Because at the moment, Mark, a lot of small and medium-sized businesses believe that climate change is a thing. They agree, yes, it is a thing, but they are really unclear about what they should be doing or could be doing to make a difference. And part of the challenge is different people give you different advice. So you'll talk to your accountant and your accountant may or may not have any idea about climate. They'll tell you one thing. And then you might bump into someone who's just done something in their own business and they'll tell you what they've done and it's different from what your accountant told you. And so, um, yeah, we're just trying to make a non-debatable, fairly clear set of actions for every business across the country to adopt. And that, that kind of enabling platform creates a system-wide change and gets things into scale. Because if we as an organization were just working one-on-one and one with all those businesses, we might get to, you know, 500 or 550, as you were just saying, but this gets to tens of thousands, which is much cooler. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going back to that point where businesses are willing, smaller and medium-sized businesses don't necessarily have the resource to, to because it brings about behavioral change, doesn't it? Yeah. It's stopping and, and restarting stuff, um, which is really difficult. And, and you, I know you guys did some analysis on, um, you know, only the very large businesses in New Zealand are committing, you know, personnel to or can afford to or, or sort of, but that's pos- possibly changing. And if you can bring businesses together to help each other, that sounds wonderful. Ch- changing tack a little bit, what drove, where did your interest for sustainability come? Like where was, where was the start of that journey for you? Uh, was it when you were very young or? I always acknowledge my parents at this point, actually. Um, both my parents were school teachers, and both of them, in their own special way, were um, activists, really. So they, uh, when they were very young, they got married and had four kids in quick succession, um, and we were brought up in uh, Howick. But my parents were fondly known as the hippies of Howick. They were the people that turned their, their flat gardens into food places and places for birds and animals and we were right on the edge of a farm and you know it was pretty impressive but they were also very clear about human rights and also protection of environmental systems so for example mum is as when we were little kids would take us out when she was doing sediment sampling on mangrove swamps and what she was trying to demonstrate was the importance of you know, not bowling through these really important ecological systems to put roading in, which New Zealand has done right around the country. And she was saying, this is a, this is a bad thing to do. And, you know, 20 something years later, or actually 50 years later, I'm now going, she was spot on. And now we're starting to really acknowledge the importance of the roles that mangroves and wetlands and these special places play in our own environmental um, uh, value. We didn't really understand that when we were madly pushing roading through these places. Now I think we really do, and now we're having to spend to unplug the systems that we damaged. Yeah, and she, you remember her explaining that to you in, in sort of terms you understood 
and that being a constant narrative in the household? Yeah, no, mum did used to talk about it. But when we when she took us there, she would always be explaining what we were doing. We were very young when she was doing this. But I also remember she was writing to um to the councils to try and help them understand. So she yeah, she was doing a lot of that stuff and and we were, you know, mum and dad were both keen trampers. They used to take students tramping and us kids would sometimes get to go along on some of the student um tramps that that we did so and mum was a biology teacher so we'd stop and look at trees and and birds and and stuff and my father was quite different he was a he was a chemist but he was very big on social issues so uh, for example when the big discussions about the rugby um gosh I've forgotten the name of it you know in the 80s Apart, with um, apartheid, the Springbok tour mm. spring, yeah when the mm. Springbok tour happened my family was on the um the no this shouldn't be happening side and I remember my dad going off in the early days all of us kids went to the early ones um, but then it got so violent that dad couldn't take us and he used to have to leave with his with some with his helmet on um, in case he got hit over the head you know it got quite got quite unsafe there for a while but that was really important for us kids and I remember we all knew how tough it was for dad to get out there and there were hundreds of New Zealanders doing it and they were all scared, but they all felt very staunch about the fact that this wasn't, you know, apartheid was not okay. So really, if you're thinking about modern day terminology and ESG, you had like the the the, the um, ESG family, didn't you? You had environment <laughs> being talked about and you had social issues being talked about. I think it was a big divide in New Zealand. Um, people were on one side, you had people who, um, you know, pro sport, pro, pro rugby, let's not get politics in the way. But you really saw a, um, a movement of, of people. And I remember being at barbecues and, you know, barbecues would fall apart and half the family would leave because they really opposed the, the tour. I, I was brought up with that way of being. I didn't really, I mean, that was just normal life for our family. But also um, being brought up in Howick, Howick was a, um, it was called Yuppie, you know, do you, do you remember the term yuppies, the young yeah. urban professional kind of um, framing? So there was a lot of white carpets and BMWs and Audis and things driving around Howick by the time I was kind of in my teens. And my parents weren't that set of people, but I did get to see it. And what I noticed was that these business people were really bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, they were they were passionate about what they were doing. They really wanted to make a difference in whatever it was with very little consideration of environmental or social issues, but they were passionate about their business. And so as I grew up, I think I was bringing both of those learnings together with the social and the environmental and the brights and the um, and the bushy-tailedness of business together into a framework going, well, actually, I know these kind of people that, that drive businesses. Imagine if they were actually driving their businesses with the same passion and, and determination, but also ensuring that they were regenerating making things better than what they were before. And that's kind of the movement that um, I got really passionate about when I was doing my studies. And that was as, as exact as that. So through your university years, you were having those thoughts around the power of business to do good environmentally, socially. Yeah, and it really um, it really came to me when I was travelling around the world. Um, I spent three and a bit years away from New Zealand and travelling in all sorts but a lot a lot of my traveling was in the developing nations and man when you used to see some of these really large companies that were doing some really polluting behavior in places like India you know and people were were in very poor conditions there and they were having to wash their 
closed, you know, get their drinking water from places where further upstream they were discharging into those same rivers. You know, I was just, I just thought that was appalling and it reconfirmed that thing that business really needs to, it's, a, it's the biggest powerhouse around the globe and it, um, it really does need to take responsibility for its supply chains and for what it does. So that when I came back, I was completely determined to play a role in that. Wonderful. And how do you feel like when you're resisting, when you're being an activist, like is that a happy place? Is that a comfortable place? You, you quite like kind of getting under people's? Well, I think I've been doing it my whole life, so probably very comfortable with it. Yeah, I just, it's it's kind of a little, I'm not religious, but I guess you could you could argue that I feel very clear about what and how business should be operating. So I don't feel apologetic about it. I just feel very clear about it. And I wish more people did. It's a challenging thing. It is not easy to do, but if it was easy, we'd all be doing it, right? There is a, there's a, there's a challenge with human greed, which I'm, I really struggle with. I think a lot of people don't have enough and there's a few people with way too much. And I'm just really uncomfortable with that too. So. Yeah, I'm very comfortable talking about it. Yeah, capitalism under fire, right? Well, you know, capitalism, I've, I've been doing lots of research on that too, Mark, and over the years. And I actually think the original design of capitalism was probably the best system we've got. The problem is when we first developed capitalism, you know, when it was first mooted uh, by Adam Smith way back, it was always with the foundation that it was going to look after society and it was going to look after planetary systems. If we undermine both of those things, capitalism doesn't work. And that's what's happened. We forgot the social stuff and we forgot the natural system stuff. And we just did capitalism without boundaries. And that's where I think it went wrong. Yeah. So we're trying to bring that back in, I think, is what's happening now. There's, I think we're in a system where we're, where the economy is starting to transition away. We're talking about, you know, an, a, an economy that decarbonizes now. We're talking about a more equitable, uh, equal system. All of those things are coming. So I think we're in a time of transition, actually, where we're starting to really move the system so that it's fairer and, uh, yeah, more sustainable. Yeah. And businesses, if they're not realizing this themselves or they're certainly um, their stakeholders, you know, their employees, their customers, their suppliers, are, you know, they're saying it's, it's not okay just to be focused on shareholder profit and you've got to be about more than that. That must excite you when, when you see this movement. I do. And I've just been, you know, I've just been reading more and more research over the last wee while that just reconfirms that there is a massive shift and it's very hard now, you know, as compared with 20 years ago to find people who absolutely don't believe in climate change. ECA did some research and I can't remember the number, but it's nearly 90% of people that they surveyed said, yep, climate change is a real thing. What's interesting? And also the other interesting thing is, the divide between uh, urban and rural really doesn't exist on climate change. They're all saying, yes, it does exist. What's different is what you're willing to do about it. And that's the thing that I find interesting. There's a difference between the ages. So the the older generation uh, who were still working, you know, the people probably in the 50s to 65 bracket have a different way of wanting to act in this stuff. And it's not as urgent. Whereas the young people have a real sense of urgency and probably more awareness on system movements. I mean, this is a very general conversation, but yeah. And, and also, but the, the other thing that I thought was really interesting is the way that women are willing to, um, participate and the way that men are willing to p participate from the survey suggests that 
men are less likely to do lots of actions. They're really more likely to do kind of technological things like buy an electric vehicle, whereas women are willing to do more actions that are more about behavior changes than men are. So I think that's really interesting too. So how do we... How do we make it easier for guys to do more of those actions? Yeah. You, you might have an idea. Sounds like a good that. mission. Um, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in, like, if you think of the jolts we've had global, on a global level and a, and a sort of local level, like, how has the global pandemic, how has uh, war, how, how has economic yeah. challenges kind of fast-forwarding, superpowering that focus on environmental, social stuff? I mean, I think it's been fascinating you know when there was a survey done when the pandemic first hit um and a lot of the people in the sustainability space had gone things on climate change are going to drop off we're just going to focus on looking after health you know mental health and well-being social stuff really drove up and they thought sustainability was going to drop off the radar which is essentially what happened in 2008 and 9 when the gfc hit we just red penned sustainability out of business action through that period of time when we had the national government who also went through policies with a red pen on sustainability. But there was a dip for a very short period of time. Then it accelerated up again. So what we've seen over the last kind of year and a half is a massive increase in awareness and desire to act on all sorts of fronts. Climate has really cranked up as a must do for all business now. There's a recognition these storm events are something that we have to make sure we know what we know how we're going to respond to these things, but also we're not going to be responsible for being part of that in our future. That's not the legacy we want to leave, which is which has been tremendous. So, yeah, I think that's been that's been a real tracking up. And then we we've been hit by this war, and that is extremely scary. I'm very glad. um, I feel very lucky to live in New Zealand once again. I'm glad I don't live in Europe right now, but I do have friends who are there. And listen to the EU, they're talking about decarbonisation and bringing their decarbonisation strategy forward 10 years. So if anything, it's starting to motivate people to start thinking about how do we be more self-reliant as nations on our own energy systems that we've got rather than relying on offshore oil, for example, because those fights are going to increase while we're still reliant on petrol um, or petroleum. So we, I think that's a really important thing for New Zealand to really focus on is how do we, you know, we detach ourselves from those systems at a faster pace than we currently are. And, and we naturally, you know, we're naturally energized through fairly um, sustainable means. We could do a really good job of it, but there's a, there's got to be the action that supports that and much better planning on things like renewable energies here so we can decarbonize faster and that investment needs to follow with it. So I think it's been a real eye opener, really, this last two years. And just looking at your own behaviors, your own life, I imagine you feel it's a cent- center of, of who you are. So, so what is your, what sort of behaviors do you engage in or your family engage in? And are you, are you kind of, put that into the heart of your family around sustainability (laughs) yeah Yeah, we we do i mean that's just everything we do unfortunately my fantastic e-bike um which was my close one of my closest friends in the end has just been stolen so i'm completely gutted by that it was um the shop that it was in getting repaired got broken into last week and stole most of their bikes so terrible for them 
uh, Electrify NZ, wonderful group, um, wonderful shop. So they've lost a lot of their stock. And because the demand for e-bikes is so high globally now, it's going to take some time for bikes to come back. Um, so I'm gutted about that because that, that's my mode of transport. I do have a pedal bike, but I live um, in quite a hilly place. So going up and down, it's I'm getting too old or maybe too unfit. But anyway, it'll be a motivation to get me going. So, yeah, we don't. None of us drive much at all. Um, we're all walkers and, and cyclists. That's a big thing for us. Uh, very aware of energy and water use as a, as a team. Organics is big um, and growing our own vegetables. Do a lot of that stuff. Um, secondhand clothing, quality secondhand clothing, big thing that we do. Yeah, just lots, lots and lots. And a business leader out there or business owner, I see a real difference in those businesses who put sort of environmental factors or social factors at the at sort of the, in their mission and their sort of core of their beliefs and they're the ones who are making the biggest strides and they're kind of almost making it like a competitive advantage. They sure are. Is yeah. there, what should they do? They're listening to this. What actions should they take to, to sort of start the journey if they feel like they're, they're not there yet? Yeah, I mean, the, for me, the critical thing is to just start doing something. It's there is more, you know, SBN's got a website. You can go to that. A lot of the information on there is free. So there's no price barrier there. I would say if you're, if you're still trying to work out what to do, go and look at the climate action toolbox and get started on that. Some people find that technological solutions or online tools are not enough. So there are a number of support programs that we run at the SBN. So there's the Get Sustainable Online course that is it's it's a community of businesses so you get to hear what other businesses are doing who are working on climate action stuff but they're also looking at how to reduce waste they're also looking at how to um, regenerate natural systems so they're kind of climate actually covers all of those things as well and they're all really important things to do so that's what I would be saying to people is go to our website which is sustainable.org.nz if you want to learn stuff, there's a whole stack of learning programs, tools and resources. And if you want to act, there's a trillion of different ways that you can do it. There's no excuse these days to not be doing something. And that's the beginning of your journey. You've got to start doing some things. Then you'll start seeing the benefits and you'll do more. It's a, it's just a lovely, fulfilling cycle of change. Great. And as we move towards wrapping up, just focusing a little bit on you, person you'd most like to have food with dead or alive oh i'd quite like to have dinner with kate raworth she does donut economics and favorite device or thing favorite device or thing my e-bike i thought you might say that <laughs> which i directly miss i'm an active person so i like getting out yeah where do you get your inspiration from i get my inspiration from all sorts of places Lots and lots of different places. There's not one source. I can get inspiration from little kids doing things to my colleagues doing stuff. They're amazing. Um, my my mum and my dad still give me inspiration. Yeah, I get inspiration all over the place. I'm quite lucky, though. I think I, I just bounce around going, wow. <laughs> and what book should we read? I would really encourage people to look at Paul Hawkins' latest um book on regeneration i think uh, he's nailing it right now wonderful well thank you for joining me been an absolute pleasure and good luck with sbn and um hope to connect in the future yeah lovely to talk mark 
Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.